This morning, we're going to conclude our Advent series <clears throat> uh, that we're calling To One Greater, uh, where we've looked at the early witnesses to the birth of Jesus, the witnesses who show us the arrival of one who is greater, greater than our fears as a people, greater than our guilt, greater than our shame, greater than the cracks of our society, greater even than our best hopes and aspirations, Jesus the Christ. And so to finish off our Advent season, we're going to invite some of our kids this morning to read the scriptures to us. And uh, so with that, Carrie, Duffy, I want to bring up our, our reading crew. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of God shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all of the people, all peop- the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from the heaven into the shepherds, into the heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known, saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered what, at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days... When he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before um, he was conceived in the womb. Good job. Thank you, guys. Awesome. Great work. It's always cuter when anything's read by a kid, so always a win. Thanks, guys. Awesome. All right, well, our kids' crew is going to go back upstairs and... Glad you guys could read the scriptures this morning. Well, this, uh, this first Christmas, uh, the, the first arrival of Christ, the King, uh, by the way, Christ is not a last name, it's a, it's a title, it is a, it is a title, it, it uh, comes from the word Messiah, which means anointed one, it's a royal connotation, that this is the King, and uh, this first Christmas tells us what to expect uh, that will follow in the story about this king. It's an origin story, as we said earlier in this Advent series. It's an origin story that reveals the nature of this event. And there's a lot about Christianity that is 
just simply mistaken or assumed because of the cultural and religious baggage that we have inherited. Uh, and, and with that comes um, all kinds of baggage about what, Christian, uh, what Christmas really is about. And so we're going to finish our Advent series looking with fresh eyes on what Christmas tells us about the nature of Christ the King and therefore Christian faith. Uh, we're going to look this morning, we've looked so far at uh, Joseph's witness and Herod's witness and the shepherd's witness. Today we're going to look mostly at Mary's witness, her witness to the reality that she had given birth to. In some ways, Mary's like the first Christian. She's the first one to receive the Messiah in faith when she responds to the angel, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That is a receptivity of faith and a surrender that accepts the grace of God and all of its costliness. And, uh, and so we look to see uh, what we glean from Mary's story about what is true for all time. Uh, the story that surrounds Christmas. And so what we see here are four distinct moves within this story that I think are paradigmatic for Christian faith, that they form uh, a, a story that is worth following. They're four moves that Christmas invites us to make ourselves, four moves that become the paradigm for Christian faith. So um, we left off last week with the witness of the, sh- the shepherds, right, that they get in on this inclusive grace of God, uh, and they show us the radical inclusivity of God's grace. And um, in fact, they even get a whole concert from the heavenly host, all these angels who show us that in Christ, heaven is breaking into earth. And they get this message that a king has been born, and they're going to find him in a manger, which is a feeding trough. That's a interesting juxtaposition, isn't it? Here's a king for you, a royal ruler, long-awaited, long-expected, who will rule on behalf of Yahweh, the God of Israel, and you're going to find him where the pigs feed, or the sheep feed, or whatever, the animals feed. And so they will go and discover this in this cave, which is probably familiar to the shepherds, probably some say because the shepherds probably own the cave where Jesus is born. And so they come back to this cave and they discover some things. So they they take the message to heart. They believe and now they seek to understand more of what it is that they're receiving from heaven. And so the first move that this Christmas story invites us to make this Christmas and And as we engage Jesus and what it means to have faith in him is to go and see what happened. Um, We first are invited to go and see what happened. They say, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Uh, The reality of the gospel requires some investigation. Let's just be honest. It doesn't make sense immediately necessarily. It isn't automatic, and so it requires that we go and see what is being fulfilled in Jesus. And so that's, in fact, what Jesus says to his first disciples in John 1 when they have some questions about his person and his nature and his agenda, and he says to them, come and see. Come and see. It's an invitation to investigate. And In other words, this announcement or proclamation of good news 
invites us to explore and investigate it. It, it doesn't necessarily come to you automatically. And, and I think we're in a moment as the church where uh, we live in a society that is very different than the society in which Christianity first kind of blew up. Uh, in fact, the, the first church uh, proclaimed the gospel in a way that was distinctive in the Roman Empire in significant ways, but Christianity was unknown, and it actually came to be pervasive in society. And now we live in a society that defines itself by its rejection of Christian faith. And so there's an immunity, if you will, uh, to the Christ story. And so what that means for us as a church is we have to be a patient people who have space for investigation, who give space to others to explore what Jesus is about, to come and see, to go and check out what has happened. And so we um, may be sharing the good news for a very, very long time before people around us begin to make sense of the thing that is light to you. And so... um, That said, we have to give space as a church for people to explore and invite questions. That is appropriate. We want to invite and give space for people to come and see. And that's part of why we do community. During the week, we meet in community groups where perfect spots to dialogue and wrestle with. These are the questions. These are the things that are interesting to me about faith. So it's it's an investigative thing. And, And maybe you're here this morning... Uh, and you have questions, and this whole thing doesn't necessarily make sense to you, and yet it's Christmas, and maybe you obliged a family member and your church, and I just would say, welcome and live into the questions. Begin to wrestle with it. Um, and, and God is not threatened by it. It's very good. Faith is instant for some and slow for others. Um, and if that is you, it means that something is stirring in you, and I would welcome that. That if there is a discontent and some agitation in you that has moved you to look, let that move you towards Jesus, to go and explore, to go and see what has happened. And so make this first move this Christmas, to see what has happened in Jesus, which means this, that when you go and see what has happened, you take in all the data. You don't just take one slant, one blogger, one opinion, one tweet, right? You take in all the data of what has happened, and you let it mess with you. And it may mean that when you go and see what has happened, that you will come out the other side with a radically new way of seeing life and reality. It may mean being shaken up and embracing a whole new way of life and uh, truth that uh, now shapes your life map instead of the old map that you had before. And so uh, going and seeing what has happened presupposes that we don't have it all figured out, actually, but that the message of Jesus is compelling and invites investigation. In fact, Jesus invites this posture in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. Later, he will say, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Sincere Exploration and seeking who Jesus is will lead to clarity. And so he invites us into this spiritually investigative posture, this first move. It's interesting. It even happened to Moses in Exodus 3 when he's just out minding his own business and he sees a bush on fire. And he could have ignored it. And maybe he did for years, I don't know. But at some point he turns aside and says, let's go see what's going on, right? 
And so maybe God is up to something in your life where it's time to say, let's go see what's going on with this good news about Jesus. Maybe that is this Christmas for you. It is time to follow the shepherds and make the first move to see what has happened. Or, or maybe for you, you have embraced Christian faith at some point, but your experience of God has slowly fizzled. Maybe the priority of your relationship with God has moved to the periphery, and it's time to go back with fresh eyes and look at what has happened afresh. Move with the shepherds uh, and see what has happened. That's the first move. You've got to go and see. The second move that this Christmas story invites us to make is you actually have to go find who is in the manger. Um, you have to find the baby. Okay, um, in my house, um, where's the baby is actually an inside joke uh, because uh, after our third baby, uh, I was kind of tired one night and was out in the living room having a chat with our guests uh, and realized that I didn't have any clue where the baby was that I think I had had in my arms a few minutes before. I was like, where's the baby? I realized that I had just changed her and left her on the changing table down the hall. And so I just took off running. Like, so anyways, where's the, you have to find the baby. Um, and anyway, I, that has nothing to do with this sermon. That's just it's a freebie, actually, um, that to like, use against me at some point when I'm saying something about parenting. I'm just like, I don't know, man. You left a baby on a changing table. You're not credible. So the second move is you do have to find the baby. You have to go find out who's in the manger. Um, and here's what I mean. Uh, the, the shepherds, they go and they see, but they don't search endlessly. Okay, this is, this is so important for us. This is so important. This, the motif of a spiritual journey is all the rage right, at the moment. Right? I'm on my journey, which is f- fair. Like We have to affirm faith is a journey. In fact, Luke, the author of this passage, will use chapters 9 through 19 to explore the theme of a journey, actually. As Jesus journeys towards Jerusalem for 10 chapters, Luke uses those 10 chapters to show us what a faith journey, apprenticeship to Jesus, discipleship to Jesus, looks like. It's a faith that is dynamic. It's on the go. It's traveling, if you will. It goes with him. It's not static. But the modern notion of a spiritual journey is just kind of endless investigating. It's endless wandering, if you will, and the emphasis is on my journey, right? Which means it ends when I decide it ends. But the Christian faith has a conclusion. It is a journey, but it has a conclusion. It lands somewhere, and this is important to the story. Um, And so there is actually a baby lying in a manger that one discovers present in history, And the proclamation of good news is about a person. There is content to it. It's not just about a way. It is a way, but it is the way of a very particular person who we find. And so the shepherd's journey leads somewhere very specific. And I would invite you into that this morning to say, be on a journey, but be on a journey leading to somewhere, not just endless circling. That there is a somewhere that is good news, and it's only good news because of the one we find in the manger. This is vital for us to see. Jesus is not a one-stop, he's not one stop, I guess, on the spiritual journey. He is, in fact, the whole journey and the destination. So Christian faith invites us to land, in fact. Christmas invites us to land. Um, Now, the text puts two things together here that I don't want you to miss. I think this is interesting. In verse 17 uh, it says that they, the, the shepherds, uh, 
find, or they saw it, that is the baby in a manger, uh, and they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. So Luke puts two realities together that you might not initially catch. They see it, there's a baby in a manger, and they report what has been told them by the angels. Uh, There's two kinds of knowledge operating here in this story. There's two ways of knowing. One is historical knowledge. There's actually something tangible they're witness to. They actually witness an artifact, right? There is a baby in a manger. They see it. It is a historical happening that they witness. There's another kind of knowledge here, and that is, I'm going to throw out a very Merry Christmas word for you, apocalyptic, right? There you go. That's, it's, it's not your typical Merry Christmas word, but there's an apocalyptic knowledge here, okay? And what's going on? That means that there is knowledge that's revealed by heaven. Historical knowledge is is something that says this is what happened. Apocalyptic knowledge is something that says here's what it means. Uh, History can't mean anything on its own. It's just happenings, right? It is what it is. It's events that happen, but events don't mean a thing. Events can't make meaning. Only persons can make meaning. And apocalyptic is this whole genre of Jewish literature and thought that has to do with kind of God's perspective of things. And so apocalyptic says if... God didn't reveal it, you don't know it. Like, that's really what that genre of knowledge means. And so, if you have an angel chorus that says, this is what has happened and what it means, you have apocalyptic knowledge, because heaven had to peel back the reality and say, this is what's going on and what it means. But if you only have history and no apocalyptic, you don't know what anything means. You don't have a framework for life. If you only have apocalyptic and no history, then you don't have anything to make meaning of. And so both are happening here. And so we have in the Christian story and in the Christmas story in particular, uh, you have real events on earth and you also have heaven breaking in to tell us what it all means. Are you with me? This is very important for us. Um, It's not just... Uh, This gospel reality is not the creativity of mankind. It's not just from the earth up. It's also from heaven down. It is the revelation of God. And that carries a different weight to the Christmas story. It's not that just some good rabbi was born in poverty. We've seen babies born. We've seen poverty. But what we haven't seen is the creator God become creation. What we haven't seen is the infinite, right, touchable. What we haven't seen is the holy one, in flesh. And this is what we get at Christmas. And so the text says that when they put these things together, what happened in history and what has been revealed by heaven, they wondered at it. What? I mean, that is a wondrous thing to behold, this king who is common humility, who's going to rescue the people from their sins. And so they're wondering and And they're wondering because when you take the historical happening and the apocalyptic unveiling together, it's an astounding reality. It goes beyond our sensibilities and our categories because the reality of a king in a manger isn't rational. None of us would design that story to work that way, and yet God does. It's not predictable. We wouldn't have seen it coming. It, It breaks all of our categories of power and glory and dominion and rule. And so the second move of Christmas. The first is you have to go and see. The second is you, you have to go find the baby. You have to find who's in the manger. 
And when you do, it leads you to a conclusion that you'd be unable to manufacture, which, you know, earth witnesses and heaven reveals. And it's a reality that evokes this third move. And here's the third move. Luke tells us that Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. She just takes it in. It wasn't something that she had to get up and do. Uh, She didn't have to do anything. She just received it and contemplated this reality. And so she's she's contemplating, she's treasuring. What is Luke telling us? Uh, The word that he uses for treasure in this sense is this idea of preserving or protecting that it's something about careful consideration because something's worthy. You store it up, you tuck it away, you hold on to it. You can think of these moments, and if you're not a parent, I'm sorry, I'll try to come up with another illustration, but I think about treasuring, and I think as a dad, and I I think about those just really tender moments that you just want to hold on to. It's those moments that you just want to savor. It's my oldest, just giggling, right? It's the silliness that you just go, I don't ever want to let that go. It's the innocent singing of my middle, where he's like, you're just so joyful. I just want to hold on to this moment. Or it's, uh, I'm trying, it's my, my youngest, it's just that beaming pride when she knows she's done well. And you just go, oh, I just treasure this moment for you. And there are these moments that you just, you just treasure, moments you savor. Maybe for you it's a sunset. You go, I don't want to forget it. Or it's that moment in a concert where like, everyone is just experiencing this kind of like, transcendent moment together or in a performance or something. I think there was like a couple of moments. We saw Hamilton earlier this year, and it was like, I can't, I, I want to hold on to this moment forever. You know, It's just so cool. Um, so you just have to download it. I guess. And, and it's not the same. But, uh, and so when you treasure something, though, in this way, uh, you, you've made an assessment of value. That's the thing. Anytime we're treasuring, protecting, preserving, we've made an assessment of value. This is such a valuable experience. This is such a valuable reality. Uh, this is a valuable relationship. And you've decided that there's value worth savoring and contemplating. And so Mary shows us a move that bears imitation, and it's her focus, the focus of her contemplation and deep consideration. It's this practice of pondering something. And when we ponder, we ponder a mystery. We ponder something bigger than ourselves. And you treasure a mystery that's been made known, where it's a mystery that's accessible that you can get your head into and your heart into. And what's fascinating about Luke's account is that he's not shy about what people treasure. Uh, He uses another Greek word for treasure, but it's the same assessment of value that we're talking about. And he he uses it throughout his his gospel. In Luke 6, he says, The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of the evil treasure... What they find worthy produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, Luke says. Luke says in uh, chapter 12, verse 21, So the one who lays up treasure for himself uh, and is not rich towards God right, is this certain kind of way. 
Right? So there's a sense that our heart esteems and treasures and finds worth. Again, in chapter 12, verse 34, he says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so when Jesus uses this notion of treasure, he's talking about what ultimately grips your desires and your affections and your loves. Uh, and so what Christmas points to is ultimate treasure. Mary is there. She's, she hasn't had to go search. Right? She's got treasure. She's holding it, presumably, him in her arms. And she's taking it in. She's treasuring. And she's found one greater. Right? She has found one who has ultimate worth. One who has ultimate worth but yet came in ultimate humility. He's come vulnerable as a child. This is a ruler who comes in vulnerability. He comes in poverty. He comes laid in a feeding trough. You want to know what God's like? He's Jesus-shaped. Right? Jesus is the one who makes the Father known, he says. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This is what God's like. He'll come in vulnerability. He'll come in weakness. Holds his power under control, right? And so, and in restraint. And so it's this baby who is laid in a feeding trough, and he's also the king who's glorified. But how is he glorified in the end of the story? He's glorified most by his suffering, where he's crowned king with thorns, and he's laid bare on a cross so that he can bear sin, so that he can absorb what is broken and messed up and backwards and upside down in each one of us and our affections and our desires and in what we treasure. And so he does this so that we can be forgiven, so that our sin can be atoned for. He is a king who is true treasure, and yet he shows us that he treasures us by entering into our story in this way. And so when we recognize that the Almighty God has come to us in utter humility in this incredible juxtaposition... Right? We see that he's worthy. We see that he is worthy of exalting. And he says, you'll be exalted with me, raised with me, you'll conquer with me, and you'll enter new creation and resurrection life with me by the power of the Spirit and through union with me because I've come to be united to humanity through the incarnation, through my death and resurrection. And so we see the treasure that we are to him and it moves us, and it stirs our affections, and it shows us how he's truly treasure to us. And he, re- takes our, he takes our life and roots it in the reality of who he is. And so we contemplate with Mary. We treasure with Mary. We treasure Jesus Christ alongside Mary, God with us. And, and that means that pondering and treasuring all that he is and has come to do and, and, and taking him as the focal point of our lives. And that's what Christian faith is fundamentally about. It's about treasuring Jesus because we have been treasured by him. And so we take in that treasure personally. We uh, take in the value of who he is, the worth of who he is, and that reality reevaluates every other reality in our life. It reevaluates what I contemplate, what I practice, where I put my value, where I put my worth, what I pursue, how I relate what I say to my anxieties when they pop up, right? 
And so this is the third move. We treasure and we ponder alongside Mary. But it leads to yet one more move, the fourth move. We see is glorifying and praising. Luke says that the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. They found reality to match what the angels had said, that God has indeed come, that it is good news of great joy for all the people. It does mean peace. And so what captivates you this Christmas? What is it that captivates you? You see, what we glorify, what we make much of, always leaks out of us. It always seeps out some way. And so you'll return from church today, our gathering, glorifying and praising some reality. You just will. It's what it means to be human. We worship. We glorify. There's always an object of our loves. Love always has an object. And so we will love some reality. We will glorify some reality and make much of something. And so will you let yourself this morning as we enter into Christmas week to be captivated by the true treasure of divine grace, of the creator of the universe wrapped up in humility and a feeding trough. Uh, because when the true treasure of who Christ is grips you, it actually does some stuff in your life, right? You, you begin to allow its weight, because when we talk about glory, we talk, it's, a, it's a word that has to do with weightiness, ultimately. It's, like a, it's a word that has to do with gravity. And so when we glorify Christ, it means that he has weight that displaces all other things, right? That reorders everything else in our life. And so uh, when Christ grips you and the treasure of his reality grips you, you allow the weight of who he is to move everything else around. And so that's what it means to glorify. What does his value and his reality then mean for you? For your anxieties headed into tomorrow and Tuesday. Uh, what does it have to say? How does it reevaluate the goal of this next week for you? You can rest in the reality of who he is. You don't have to manufacture anything. All the treasure you need has been given. It's free. And so when we glorify us, our, our, uh, this Savior, right, we end up free um, to take comments from family members with a grain of salt. We end up free uh, from the anxiety of did we do well enough with a present. We end up free from all of that. You become unassailable when Jesus Christ is your treasure because you know that he has said you have ultimate worth in me. Uh, You don't have to prove anything this week. You, You don't have to earn or defend anything this week because he's already given you all the proving all the defending you could ever need in his cross and in his resurrection. So glorifying Jesus' as treasure will mean that you will shift what is ultimately valuable around, and you will value what reflects him. And the things that don't feel honoring to his person, they won't seem to make sense to you anymore. They will begin to fade away as much less important. And you'll also end up praising, just like these shepherds. You'll praise, you'll, you'll speak about the one who's worthy. We all do. We all praise something. And he will become, when he grips your heart as treasure, 
he will become the basis on which you build your life. It just is inevitability uh, to the gospel. And so he becomes the bar of what feels ultimately good and true and beautiful, and he will get credit in your life, and he'll begin to pull the purse strings in your life, uh, the purse strings of your heart and your wallet and your time and your relationships and your work and all of that. Because when we glorify a humble king, the vision of power that we most praise and esteem is not selfish. It's actually self-effacing and self-giving. And so we enter a week that celebrates the giving of God's self to humanity. And we uh, won't be able to celebrate the depth of it without treasuring Jesus alongside Mary. You won't treasure Jesus unless you actually find him as he is in the manger and ultimately revealed through the cross and resurrection and ascension. And you won't find him as he is unless you go and see what's there. And so we follow him and follow these moves in this story. And so um, when we make these moves, we do what makes sense as a community and we celebrate together. And we're going to take a moment here at the tables and invite you to celebrate the gift of Christmas, which is Christ in the flesh, God in the flesh. And that's why he takes tangible things like bread and juice and says, take these, because I became tangible to humans, to human history. And yet it is a tangibility that's accessible at the table, where we say we come to you and we celebrate your tangible love and we treasure what's been given and what ultimately can't be taken away which is the life of God revealed in Christ, available through the Spirit. And so I want to invite you this morning. We, as always, have a team of people who would just love to pray with you and just to come alongside. It's not weird. It's just we want to love you and pray with you. And uh, we will also just sing and glorify and praise the one who's worthy, the one who is true treasure. And so as we do, I invite you to the tables this morning uh, to, to come as an act of treasuring and contemplation of the goodness of our God, to come and redeem and to treasure us through what he's done. Let's pray.